This is Guitar Talk. To me, it just seems like there are endless possibilities. One of the things I like to find out, you know, how people got influenced in the play and the guitar, because stories are so unique. The trick is not to feel pressured to conform. If you know anything about Joel, he's been around the block. He's probably one of the most sought-after guitar players. How would you create that song? How would you turn that song into your song? There's not a guitar player on this planet that I personally don't follow closer. It's it's not something that you see too often. I only know a few players that do it. Now, from the home of the blues, Chicago, Illinois, welcome to Guitar Talk with your host, Jimmy Warren. All right, everybody, Jimmy Warren here. Welcome to this edition of Guitar Talk. So thankful to be with you again another Wednesday before we jump in, of course, we got to let you know that the show is brought to you by Charlie and John's Strings. You can go to charlieandjohns.com. Uh, they've got a wide variety of electric and acoustic strings. They're long-lasting. They're very vibrant, really great strings. You're going to love them. That's charlieandjohns.com. Also, Guitars for Vets. It's an organization that helps veterans with PTSD through the gift of guitar and music therapy to find out how you can support them and be a benefit to a veteran in need. Go to guitarsforvets.org. Okay, so uh, it wasn't that long ago, of course. I was in Nashville for the uh, Summer NAM show, which, you know, I don't know. It was kind of a... Yeah, I don't know. It was kind of a drag. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't much there. But for me, it was good because my purpose of going to something like that is to network. Of course, I want to see the new products. You know, want to you know check out a lot of gear and that. But at the same time, you know, my thing is to network. And while I was in Nashville, I had an opportunity to stop in and see Elliot Michael, who owns Rumble Seat Music. It is a uh, it's a guitar store or a gear shop, however you want to word it, that is centered around vintage instruments. Now, this guy really knows vintage uh, equipment. Now, we're connected on Facebook, so he's always posting, you know, the stuff that's coming into his shop. It's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that you want to be able to buy everything that you see because it's just so damn cool. And, uh, and when I got an opportunity to finally sit down and really talk to him, you know, to find out more about his business and why he does what he does and what he loves about it, I learned that he's got a new CD getting ready to come out. So that was doubly cool, you know. We got a, a double whammy there. So uh, we're going to have an opportunity to chat with him about his new music as well. So... Here's what you do. You know the drill, man. Sit back, put your feet up, get a nice cool beverage, and enjoy this conversation with Elliot Michael from Rumble Seat Music in Nashville, right here on Guitar Talk. Hey there. Hey, Elliot. How you doing? Okay. Let's see what's happening here. Continue. There we go. All right. We good? Good. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. Things are good. I tell you what, I was I was really thankful I was able to come by your your shop when I was in Nashville because I I've watched you post stuff over the years, you know, from Chicago, and I go, oh man, 
I'd love to be there and see this in person, you know? And so it was a real treat to be able to, to go there. It was a great, it was great media actually. Yeah. Thank you very much. Hey, I've you. always, always wanted to be a collector. You know what I mean? But it's always, uh, it's not that I haven't had money to do it. I've, uh, I started out with pedals. Right. Right. You know, it's like, I've got a couple of clones. I've got a couple of original, the, the uh, Ibanez tube screamers and I've got, you know, some sixties Vox, you know, was and, you know, things of that nature. Sure. And then I expanded out and I bought a uh, 67 ES 335. Right. It was my first, oh. you know, major purchase when it comes to a guitar like that. And then I ended up a couple of years back, I bought a 62 strap. And uh, I've always wanted to dive in deeper, but uh, I, I just don't know how guys do it. I just don't. It's just in the blood, man. I don't know. You know, I've been doing this as a kid. Trying to, the way I started doing it, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, in a poor section, a poor family. And when I went to buy a guitar, my parents went, you know, I, I walked in the store and I went, holy shit, there's a, there's a you know, um, a white falcon. Is this like 89 bucks? But my parents went, we can spend $20. So we bought, you know, crappy Kent guitar and Kent amp. And it was my thing to always get a better guitar. So I'd take that guitar, play it or throw it off the roof or whatever I did with it at that point. And then go to, there was a thing called the bylines in New York, where you go in there and you can buy a, like a Les Paul Jr. for $25. So I'd save up money, buy that guitar, play it for a while, sell it for 30, buy another guitar for 35 and just keep building it up. Yeah. And that's how it pretty much started for me. And then it became insanity, insanity, insanity. Then I became a professional musician and I got away from that for a while, but I always used cool guitars. Then when I came off the road, it's like, okay, you know, basically what do I want to do? I want to play guitar again, but I couldn't afford one. So it started all over again and then it built into a store, which is kind of a joke in the beginning. And then kept building and building and just collecting and buying and trading. And here we are. Yeah. So, so when you started your first store, did you start it with your own gear? Yeah, basically I was doing it out of my trunk of my car, actually a van. Yeah. So I, I had really no money to, you know, I just came, <clears throat> be honest with you, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I just came out of a rehab. Yeah. At that point. And when I came out of rehab, you know, I had to find a job. So it was like, I found a job painting houses and doing whatever. And then I bought a guitar on time payment then was able to buy a better one. And, you know, the same thing kept happening like that again. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's just that want, that need to want another one and that love for them. Like, you know, I look around here and I go, okay, I love that guitar. I love that guitar. I love that guitar. <laughs> and it's never, never enough. Yeah. 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 I, I've got, I've got 73 guitars right now. Wow. You know, it, but, but most of them, you know, aren't, you know, high dollar high dollar guitars, you know, most of them are in that 800 to $1,500 range, right. you know, but you know, you buy them to play. Exactly. You know, you know, you're not necessarily always buying them to, to hang in a case on a wall or something like that. Yeah. The guitars, they should be played. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What, what about though? I mean, you know, there's guys out there that, you know, yeah. Sorry about that one. Uh, you're cool. There's guys out there, you know, that that own guitars that are, you know, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars, and they're still playing them on the road. That's the way it should be. I mean, that's so? 
That's what I, yeah, definitely, man. You know, yeah. Joe Bonamassa, I've known him since he's a kid. And basically he was using reissue guitars all the time. And I said, look, man, you know, you're a professional musician. You're just like a professional construction guy needs a good hammer or, you know, anybody that is professional. So I said, take my 59 LS Paul on the road with you. And, you know, when you're done, give it back. And he felt guilty. He said, I can't do that. So I said, okay, here's the deal. Take my 59 LS Paul. Pay me a dollar for the rest of your life. So he took me up on <laughs> he took the guitar with him. But his sound, his sound became more obvious and he just sounded yeah. better and better. So That's it right. should be played. So does he pay that by cash? Does he do it by PayPal? I mean, yeah, he paid it off a while ago. This is <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's that's re that's really cool. So so, what would you tell? So I mean, would you tell somebody that wants to get into collecting that's on a limited budget just to just build your way up? You know, buy one, sell it. Buy one, sell it. You know, and just do that to you. Either that or just buy it. If you love whatever you love, if it's a dollar, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, a million dollars, if you love it, buy it. Yeah. And then if you can afford another one, do the same. Buy the ones you love. Yeah, that's the most important thing because. If you're a player collector, you want to play these things. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's the thing. I, I, I just think my gut feel is I've been, I've been a player since I'm a kid. And to me, you want to hear that sound in your head. Mm. And these certain guitars, you know, people go, why do these guitars so much money? They have that sound that you want to hear in your head. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's a psychological thing, but it's, it's a, gr a gratifying feeling to... Yeah. By you love the sound of. So so how did how did selling guitars from you know a van turn into you know uh, multiple stores, you know over over time? I mean, a, how friend, that a friend of mine up in Ithaca, New York, when I was living up there, said to me, "I'm I just bought this building and I want you to open a store." I went, "No fucking way, man!" I I've never done retail in my life. I don't even know what retail is. Right. Said, I'll give you the storefront for, I think it was six months free. I went, you know, what the hell, why not? So we, I did it and I had the guitars that I bought, you know, in my van and I would take them to guitar shows and sell them and buy more kind of thing. So I opened the store as kind of a joke. So basically all my friends would come in there and we just smoke cigarettes and hang out, buy and sell guitars. And then for some reason, things just started building guitar. Uh, this vintage guitar came out. I was putting things in there, selling guitars. And it just kept building and going to guitar shows and doing stuff like that. And within, I'm going to say, probably a year and a half, the store just kept building to a point that I didn't expect. And it just kept going and going and going. Yeah. Yeah. And now we're at where we were at. Yeah. And, and where you're at is actually pretty cool because you know, walking through your store, you know, you definitely see things that you just don't see anywhere else. Right. And that's yeah. the whole point. You know, yeah. it's, there's, you know, there's so many guitar stores, music stores. I'm trying to do a thing where we have stuff that's, uh, that I love that I don't like buying things that I don't really like. So what you've seen in the store, you've seen Keith Richards guitar, you've seen all these people's guitar. It's just stuff that, it's a guitar store, but it's also kind of a little bit of a museum at the same time. Mm -hmm. But people love coming in and people just walk out happy after they're in the store. And that's what makes me happy. Yeah. Now, how do you acquire some, you know, like you just mentioned, you know, Keith Richards guitar. 
how do you acquire that? Is that through, you know, just happen to know somebody or knowing Keith, or is there a, a special place where you go to look for stuff like that? Yeah, a lot of times things come to me. Yeah. You know, again, I've been in the music business and on the road since I'm 16. So I've known and been around these people my whole life. So when people are ready to sell something or trade something, they'll give me a call and we'll, you know, either I'll either buy it or we'll trade it. And, and it just keeps going on like that. You know, there's things happening right now that I can't really say, but mm. you'll see in a few few weeks you know but yeah. and that's the thing it's just it's really I, I guess from being in the business so long you know for the music business and then i've had the store for 20 i think eight years something like that mm-hmm. and or 30 years you know it's just people get to trust a person and once you trust somebody you just feel comfortable you know doing business with them yeah so how did you come up with the name for the store rumble seat that's kind of a funny story. You know, again, this is all back in Ithaca, New York. I was with this woman and we were stuck in the middle of a, a snowstorm in the middle of Buck, you know, just out there in the woods. And the snow, you couldn't get out. You couldn't get out. We both smoked cigarettes. We had one cigarette left. It was like, you know, the gun over there. And it was like, you know, I'm going like, okay. And I started thinking, you know, if I open a store, what am I going to name it? And I went, I like old cars and I like guitars. And I went, yeah, what do you think about Rumble Seat Music? And she went, I think it's pretty stupid. I don't like it. I went, cool, that's it. <laughs> that is perfect, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm not even going to ask what you were doing way out in the woods in a snowstorm with one cigarette. I'm just not even going to go there, though. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. <laughs> well, you know, did you always have this passion for guitars as even as a young, as a young guy? 100%. I remember yeah. pretty much watching Ed Sullivan and seeing the Beatles and seeing, you know, the Rolling Stones and Sly, you know, all that, all those amazing bands that came out and watching, you know, Keith Richards with Les Paul and, you know, and then seeing other people. But luckily, my brother's friend, my, he's my older brother, his friend used to play at the churches around Brooklyn and he always played a 59 Les Paul that he played, he had bought brand new. And I used to go there and just like sit there and like drool over this guitar. And eventually I said to my brother, I said, did your buddy still, you know, have his guitar? And he was like, let's go over there. And we went to his house and I sat there like, you know, basically shaking, waiting to ask the question. And finally I asked the question and said, do you still have your guitar? And he went, you know, I do, it's in the closet. I play flute now and I, I really don't play that guitar. And I went, did you ever want to sell? He said, yeah, I'll sell it to you. You know, if you got 300 bucks, it's yours. And that's how I got the first one. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So passion from that day on, I mean, it had to be for that, but that was the total, you know, the, the, the life's dream happened to me at a younger age. So that guitar was my, my dream guitar and I loved it. But what happened to that guitar, which led to another one, I was in a band with uh, Mark Bell from Mark, Marky Ramon, um, a few other guys that are famous. We had a band together in Brooklyn and uh, the singer and Mark had an argument and the singer picked up the mic stand, Mark picked up a cymbal, threw it at the singer, missed the singer, <laughs> hit my guitar, knocked the headstock off the guitar. Ooh. Yeah. And so what I did is I ran to Rudy's music up in, you know, in Manhattan, 48th Street, because we were rehearsing down the road. I went to Rudy, can you fix this guitar? Because we had some shows to do. And he went upstairs and he came down with another 58, I think it was, really flamey Les Paul. He goes, yeah. 
would you take this guitar and trade? And I played it and I went, done. So that, that was my second last ball. Wow. Wow. Uh, boy, that had to be really disappointing, though. To, to lose it was a, uh, a heartbreaker. Uh, you know, it's like when you think you love, all of a sudden you see in slow motion, you could see that symbol going across the room and crack that headstock off. Yeah. So it was pretty, you know, heartbreaking. So, so in the early days, you just mentioned some of the people you were playing with in the early days. I know that you play music, you know, that you, you know, you still do that today and that, uh, you know, how did that kick off? I mean, who were you with in the early days and what are you doing now? Um, back then we had bands, we had a few bands. I was, um, the first few bands I had was with Mark, Mark and Ramon on, on, on drums, Kenny Aronson. I'm not sure if you know who Kenny is. He's played with Dylan, played with everybody. Yeah um this guy rick uh who sings who's actually here in nashville as well and this guy greg who is another guitar player who me and him grew up together listening to the same music so we had a band together we were supposed to be signed to kamasutra records and that's a long story that we probably shouldn't get into right now <laughs> but um so that was the first band then i had another band in uh brooklyn that did all the clubs in manhattan for a while and i left that band and then I went, I was playing with this band, Jane County and the, Wayne County and Backstreet Boys. And I joined that band, which is a, a New York, a pretty well-known New York, you know, band. And I joined that and I left that band. Then I came back and I did some other stuff with that band. Then I played with Johnny Thunders and I played with Arthur Kane. I played with, you know, all the guys in the Dolls and all, and, you know, all the bands that were in New York City in the 70s. I was the guitar player that you would see stepping on stage, you know, with all the bands if they needed a guitar player. Yeah. So from there, I, I joined, what happened was Wayne County went over to England and I got a phone call probably about six months later from the management and said they needed a guitar player and they tried out over a hundred guitar players in England. They can't find anybody to fit in the band. So they said, please come over. And I went, no, I'm not coming over. I'm in the middle of doing something else. And they hit me back with a, a good offer that yeah. I went, okay. And I went over there and I joined that band and we toured all over the world and did, uh, I think we did three albums and about 20, um, you know, EPs and singles. And then I ended up quitting that band and I was asked to join the Kinks and I couldn't do it because of the record company. They wouldn't let me do it. And then I joined a band called the Vibrators, which is another English band that's yeah. been around forever. And then I left, you know, long story, then I left there and I came back to America and, and the situation happened where I moved to California and I played with one of the girls from the Runaways and we had a band called Black and Blue. We did tours all, all over the West Coast and then we left the West Coast and came back to the East Coast. And then after that is the situation where drugs and alcohol and all that stuff happened. Well, it was happening all the time anyway, but <laughs> that was like the peak of it. Right. And, you know, I went to a rehab, you know, and when I came out, uh, I had a band upstate New York and we did stuff up there. And then uh, I opened that store that we're talking about, the small store, and then opened the big store. And then went from there to New Mexico and opened two stores in New Mexico, moved to California, opened a store in California and got tired of New Mexico and California. And we went, where do we move to next? And we moved to Nashville. Yeah. And now we're in Nashville and loving Nashville. And um, I'm doing music again. Uh, Tom Peterson from Cheap Trick has been my bass player. I'm doing some stuff. Julian Raymond, who's uh, an amazing producer, 
is doing some vocals. Uh, Sam Harris, who's an amazing kid from Brooklyn, well, New York, yeah, really punky, you know, style kid. Who's he's on most of the album. So right now, the album's being mixed. We're going to the studio to do one more song, and basically the album should be done by September. And they're also there's somebody doing a book on my life as well. Wow. So both of those should be done around September, October. Wow. That, well, congratulations. On Thank both. you. You know, Thank that's that's really cool. And it's really cool that you're going to have a book because it sounds, you know what, we've only been talking for 14 minutes. And it sounds to me like you've had a really, really interesting life for sure. And uh, and I, the book would definitely be cool to read. You know? it's, a, it's an X-rated book. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It's, it's, it's all truth. There's nothing, no holds, you know, we're not holding anything back. It's about everything that happened, reality of what happens in being in a band on the road mm -hmm. and, you know, the fun and the other side of it and the drugs and the alcohol and the women and, and all that. And I'm not going to give you any more because it's better to read the book than me telling you. <laughs> right. Now, it can, it can be, you know, I know we, we, we've heard so many people talk about it, but it's, uh, it's always cool when you get somebody's personal take on things. It, it, it can be really rough. I've, I, you know, I toured, but you know, uh, a little, maybe a little bit different. I played with Chaka Khan and Gladys oh, Knight, and, you know, a few people like that. Buddy Miles, I toured with Buddy Miles, yeah. Lucky Peterson and that, but, uh, and I, and I had the same battles, you know, right. it, you know, it, I think it's, just a common thing, you know, when you're out there on the road and that it's just a common thing. So how, you know, how, I mean, what was the, you don't have to give me you know, details or anything, but you know, what was the tipping point and what has it been like since then? I mean, would you say that it's, you know, so much better today? Yeah. I mean, again, it's all that's in the book too. It's being on the road, as you know, is a very boring thing. Most of the yeah. time when you're doing, you know, a two, three month tour, there's really nothing to do during the day, you know, and, so you find yourself finding things to do. You know, now people go guitar shopping, you know, whatever, you know, sure, you can right. do more of that kind of stuff because of the internet. But back then, none of that was happening. So we found ourselves, you know, drinking more and doing drugs. And we had certain people with us, like, you know, and it's in the book, Angel Bowie was with us on the road a lot. And there was always a lot of cocaine, a lot of heroin, a lot of, you know, whatever. It was always on the road and the boredom you know, just gets worse and worse as the years go by. And you like, it's a, it's a feeling, and I'm sure you kind of felt this too, way too. You almost feel like you're in a puppet show or you're in a, you know, a circus show because you, you get in your van or a truck or a jet or whatever you're in and you travel to the next town, you do your thing, you get dressed, you do your show, then you go to your next town and keep going on and on. So it, it just gets a little much for your head to handle. And then you get people who are, basically treating you like you're something special and then you come home and in my situation my wife at that time went could you take out the garbage and i went Are you talking to me <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute well, you know and, and you go wait what's the real reality here so i think yeah. the drugs you know kind of take you into that position and you forget reality yeah 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 i think people have you know, misconceived notions of what it's like on the road, basically from, you know, maybe things that they've seen on TV or videos right. or whatever, 
and they don't realize what it's really like, you know, and I have no understanding. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that, you know, and I think it's something that's going to add to people wanting to read your book now. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? It's a good thing. You know, I, like, again, I said, when I first started, I didn't want to do a book. I've been asked a few times to do it. And I felt like who, who wants to hear about my life kind of thing, you know, yeah. but this guy from Wales really was really cool. And, you know, I told him if we do the book, it's going to be blatantly X-rated, you know, what really happened. And he said, go for it, man. So we went for it. And, you know, it talks about all that stuff we just talking about. And there, there is glory in being on the road too. It, it's yeah. that 45 minutes, hour and a half of playing that's worth the whole thing. Yeah. It's just a great feeling to be able to play in front of people and enjoy that, that give and take kind of thing. Yeah. So, so now, I mean, when was the last time, I know nobody's been on the road for a while, you know, people are just starting back up, but uh, how long has it been since you've actually, you know, toured? Seven, eight years. Really? Yeah. But we're looking at doing this now, putting out this album. And um, do we know, well, Gibson's going to do a party for me, for the, for the album. So we're going to do a show in, at Gibson here in Nashville. And then we're doing two shows in New York. And then we'll see how we feel after that. You know, if we feel like taking it on the road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's really cool. And that, and that Gibson place, I, I went there. Uh, yeah. JC gave us a tour of the vault in the back area and stuff like that. Kill it, right? Such a cool place, man. That's going to be a great place to do it. Yeah, yeah. I love the place. I love what they're doing. I think I don't know if you heard they're doing a record company now. No, Gibson. I didn't, didn't know that, no. Yeah, so Gibson's doing a record company. So they're really, <laughs> they're, I think they're really on the right track for once in a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Well, so, so when will all that, that come out what? September, October? Late, I'm thinking, you know how things are, you always put a date and never yeah. happen. So I'm saying late September, October yeah. should be happening. The book is just about done. We did our last, um, you know, look at it, and I agreed that everything's cool. The record, again, we go in the studio, do one more song, and then it gets mixed and mastered, which should take uh, probably again until September. Yeah. And then, you know, once we get our act together, we'll go out and do it. Yeah. You know, as a musician, I've, I've uh, pretty much always lived around Chicago. Right. You know, and so, of course, you know, like you would expect, you cut your teeth, you know, mostly on blues. You know, you spend a lot of time in, in blues venues right. and, uh, you know, are, and you get the if you're if you're lucky enough, like I was back in, the, you know, uh, 80s in right. that, you know, I was around a lot of the, you know, really popular and well-known blues artists, you know, That's and great. played with a lot of them over the years. But. I'm saying all that to say that you're in Nashville, you know, and Nashville is really like, I mean, the greatest players in the world, in my opinion, live where you are. Yeah. You know, and so that's got to be, I mean, what's the, it doesn't seem like there's competition, but there's got to be. No, there's, it's really different than what we're all used to. Yeah. You know, used to like New um, again, New York, it was a, you know, there's always kind of a little bit of competition, ego kind of thing going on. Here in Nashville, nobody cares who you, you know, everybody's just another person. And, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter how good you play because that guy over there or that kid over there will blow you away, you know? 
So yeah. there's no egos and, you know, people, you know, I mean, you know, Steve Krupp is my neighbor right here. Uh, Jack White's my neighbor over here, you know, and it's just every, 